Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to Millions of Screens. I'm career producer Leo Garcia. Joined via Zoom by TV awards editor Libby Hill and TV <laughs> deputy editor Ben Travers. Today, we have an interview with Hannah Waddingham and Juno Temple from Ted Lasso. And we're going to be talking about the first two episodes of Loki. So, spoilers, beware. Ben gave it a C. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I stand by that. He did give it a C. It is a millions and millions of little screens. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. Uh, well, skipping ahead to the clicker, our recap of the biggest <laughs> new items from this past week. Uh, guys, there was a lot of big news this week. Uh, I think you should leave season two uh, announced in July. Uh, hacks. Season two renewal. Well, we already know there's three seasons of Ted Lasso, but we're skipping past all the things we're excited about to talk about Loki. Uh, as I mentioned up top, Ben gave Loki a C. But yes, Loki is the MCU or, or Marvel's third foray into the television space on Disney+. Plus. It follows the eponymous hero slash villain slash whatever he is at the moment, uh, the god of mischief, Loki, uh, after the events of Avengers Endgame, where he steals the Tesseract and uh, is promptly apprehended by a, a sort of secret time society. Um, time cops. He yeah, is time, apprehended by time cops. They're essentially time cops. Um, but yeah, uh, Ben, in thinking about Loki, looking at the previous two Marvel installments, you sort of said that looking at that first episode of Loki and looking at the first episode of WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier, that like it was, it's clear which of these has a stronger beginning. It's it's clear which of them offered potential. And with with Wandavision, what was what was exciting to me, and I uh, apparently am fairly lonely on this island, was the was the kind of embrace of the humor and the sitcom and building those elements in. And the more they leaned into that and creating actual like narrative arcs within the episodes based around the sitcom world that they were living in was very entertaining to me and very funny. And I liked the performances and all of that worked really well. And there were hints that they were going to abandon that, which they did. And that was worrisome. Um, but Falcon and the Winter Soldier, like I mentioned, it's, it was something that started with keeping those two characters apart and under the promise that they were going to come together. And when they do come together, you're going to get this kind of, very easy, very TV-friendly buddy cop dynamic that, you know, what more could you ask for? This is the this is the show. Like, it's named after these two people. This is what you want to see. And they didn't really follow up on that, or at least follow up on it enough to satisfy Leo and myself. Um, but with Loki, the, the problem with the first two episodes to me is that it is so inherently limited in terms of what it can do with its name brand character moving forward uh i feel like it's somewhat safe to say that the only reason this show exists is because fans really responded to tom hiddleston's performance as loki throughout the mcu like in whenever he popped up people really liked him and they wanted to see more of him and they were able to carve out this niche for him in this six episode limited series and 
to kind of put his hands behind his back and tell him, you can't do your thing. You have to kind of sit in this world and listen to all of this exposition and wait for us to introduce something that's going to become so important to all the other stuff that the Marvel Universe is working on, uh, as opposed to letting you have your six hours of mischief. That was just incredibly disappointing. And, and it doesn't feel like there's a lot of room going forward for that to happen. It feels like this isn't actually a show built for Loki so much as it's a show built to introduce very complicated elements of time travel into the MCU. And admittedly, as someone who saw Avengers Endgame and as soon as the solution turned out to be time travel, wanted to leave the theater, was ready to walk out and be like, that's the most ridiculous thing. I hate this as a writer. Uh, I am not one who is going to be super excited to sit and listen to people talk about how time travel is possible in general, uh, especially for hours on end. So I may not be the audience for Loki, but I also do feel like there's a lot of people who want to see Tom Hiddleston just go nuts and have fun. And there's not a lot of room for that. Before I start the point-counterpoint segment with Libby taking the opposite stance, I do want to say that in conversations with the showrunner, uh, it seems like you are exactly the person that he is writing the show for. So I think he, I, 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 I swear, like he, he is, he, he seemed Michael Waldron's the, the head writer. They actually don't use showrunner. It's a weird right. thing that Marvel yeah. does doesn't. They the don't directors are still in charge. Yeah, and it shows. Um, the the idea being that. He w- he knew that people would be dissecting the time travel elements of the show week to week. And so he wanted to make sure that there was enough sort of protection against people dissecting this on, you know, Reddit, you know, days after the episode aired. And I think, like, it's sort of this weird trying to stop the, you know, get ahead of the shitty dudes on the Internet. <laughs> like, well. let's. Let's let's try to cut them off at the pass by over-explaining everything. That sort of leads to some of the issues I think you're having with the show. So, A, I will agree with that. I do think that that is part of the problem. And it is the exact same thing that happened to Westworld when in season two they were like, we're going to make this thing so complicated that no one will ever guess the twists and then we win. Then we beat Reddit. And it's like, that's not how you write a TV show. Um, but B, I will also say, and again, readily admit that... A lot of MCU fans seem to really enjoy piecing together all of the different timelines that exist in each individual movie. So they like saying that, like, this movie happened here, and then that led into this event, and this Easter egg from this movie feeds this Easter egg from that movie. And they like putting those puzzle pieces together and predicting what's going to come next. They they enjoy that part of of the of the universe, like of, of building it out. So I think there's going to be a strong contingent of people who actually really like breaking down all of the time travel stuff within Loki and being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So then this connects to this and this connects to that. And this makes sense here. And this is why this makes sense. And, uh, you know, if you don't get it, that's your fault. They explained it. They put all that stuff in there. Um, but there, but there's no, there are no Easter eggs yet. Well, I don't, I don't think they're building in the Easter eggs yet. I'm sure they're coming. But I think that that same process of, of saying, you know, I understand this, like, I connected the dots. I have done the homework. Like, there's an element of that that's always been inherent to the enjoyment of the MCU. And I think that they're trying to take that way of thinking and that level of enjoyment and apply it to time travel. And I don't think it works, but 
I know it doesn't work for me. I don't know that it doesn't work for other MCU fans, except for Leo, who already told me it doesn't work for him. Man, I can't. I'm, but I also want to argue this point with you because I, I kind of disagree with you. But Libby, why don't you say what you felt about Loki? Uh, not that anyone <laughs> asked. Uh, I really enjoyed Loki. I'm sorry. Like I, I feel, I feel really bad about this. Uh, don't feel. You should. It felt you should. more like a TV show than a, the other two Marvel projects. It. Uh, I don't know. I laughed out loud many times. Um. I liked it. I I thought it. Owen How many Wilson, were Owen Wilson? How many were Eugene Cordero? Wait, who's that? Oh Hill yeah, boy. a few, a few. What's a fish? Yeah, if absolutely. I'd, if I'd gotten Tom Hiddleston, I would have asked him how how fun if he was able to keep a straight face the first time he said, "What's a fish?" I know, I know. It is just another setup for Doctor Strange, but it's a more fun setup for Doctor Strange. And honestly. I'm way more emotionally involved after two episodes of Loki than I ever was in the other two series. I think Shots part of the genius. <laughs> I think part of the genius of well, they never, they never, they never paid off that like they should have. Um, but I think the genius of it is is that it's not it's not the Loki that goes back that that is in time court is the Loki from. The first Avengers movie, the attack on New York. Yes. Fun and Loki. so he hasn't expend he hasn't experienced, he hasn't done or seen uh, a, a lot of the horrible things he does. So he has to watch it on this this dial. He sees who he betrays, he sees who he kills, he sees his own death. And Hiddleston is such a strong actor that I felt very emotionally connected to those scenes because I was very emotionally connected to those scenes when I first saw them in the MCU. If Loki has a strength over the other two MCU shows is that it doesn't feel like like the like w- that ABC show. Yeah. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. This is like, oh yeah, I was in direct connection with these people. Oh yeah, I was in direct conflict with these people. Look, it's the opening scene. There's Cap, and there's me doing an imitation of Cap. I understand that is not great TV. I I know that, but it's what I want. If if the MCU is content to not give me original, interesting TV, then at least give me rehashed portions of the stuff that I did feel connected to because they sure as shit aren't doing a good job building out their own original material because they don't understand television. Uh, This at least has, you know, actual funny people in it. Uh, And like, there are a lot of flaws in it. It's, it's, it, it, it can move slow. It can be boring, but I still enjoyed the experience of having it on more definitely more than more definitely more than falcon and winter soldier and the further away i get from wandavision the more i am indifferent to it that is kind of the problem with mcu's tv series and i have no doubt that when i get to the end of loki i will feel like oh shit what a colossal waste of time i think i think not to cut you off then but i think like that is literally and and having heard Libby and now having heard Ben, I feel like I'm somewhere in between you two, but probably a little bit closer to Ben on the polls, like a like a child being ripped apart by divorce. But um, <laughs> that's the dream. Uh, hey, talk about metaphors, baby. We're talking Loki. Um, 
pew 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 what fun witty repartee we're having no the i think that the main thing that we're gonna be left with with all these mcu shows like they all feel like wasted potential and i understand that ben you, like it's been burned to my head when i was review, reviewing falcon and winter soldiers like you can't review the show against the show you wish the show was and i think the problem with all these shows is that they are tantalizingly close to the great version of themselves that's what's upsetting that's what the, that's what's the most upsetting about all of these shows. Yes, Falcon Winter Soldier was not the buddy cop comedy you wanted it to be, but it was like, oh, episode two, we give you a little bit. Episode eight, we give you a little bit of that, and so you're like, shit, all the pieces are there. WandaVision, dealing with her trauma, like, oh, it's a little bit there, it's a little bit there. They're like spoon feeding you across all the episodes, but it never really builds like a full meal. And I think Loki is going to suffer from the same issues. If only because, and this was my main thought after watching the first two episodes, this is a fun character who is his sort of evil 2012 set self. And they did the very smart thing that Libby brought up about showing him his future in a very quick montage of some of the greatest moments in the MCU. And it's like, all right, cool. Now what? Let's fucking time travel. And it's like, nope, sorry. We got to talk to you more about the rules. And it literally becomes feels like a job and does not feel like a show. It should just be, and maybe the next episode will do it, but it should be fucking Loki hopping through time, trying to meet other Lokis, and maybe that's what's going to happen. I don't know. But it should be him hopping through time, meeting other Lokis, different variants, and it should be fucking insane and batshit wild. And the fact that the head writer came from Rick and Morty, and it does not feel like Rick and Morty, is fucking crazy to me. It is bonkers to me that it is not just Rick and Morty writ, live let me say this and what that's an amazing point what kills me and what makes me what infuriates me about the mcu and the failure of each one of their tv shows so far is that they refuse to make television if they would just make television these shows would be at least good and 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 some of them might have been verging on great but like they they just won't do it and and i should have known that was coming when they took wandavision set it up like a TV show, said it needed to be on TV show because of the gimmick, and then still didn't make a TV show. I, I, I mean, that is what this is all going to come down to. So maybe it's the fact that I enjoy Loki because I'm a big fan of the character. I'm a big fan of Hiddleston. I really like Owen Wilson. And you know what? I've given up. <laughs> I yeah, just don't I, give a shit anymore. I get I high mean, and I watch Loki and I have a good time <laughs> and I'm not expecting anything more from it. And honestly, everything that Leo said, as well as what uh, Libby said originally, was was formed in kind of a weird expectations game. And you're absolutely right. Like, you cannot judge a show based on what you hope it will be, and that it's something else is therefore makes it bad. That's not how it works. Um, but with Loki, what it quickly became for me was I really expected it to be this thing, aka fun, and aka loki traveling through time and meeting various forms of loki like you have a perfect setup to have like six tom hiddleston's talking to each other why would you not do that like again they, they might they might they might they might so again that's not the point the if point I don't is get just that, i'm gonna lose my fucking mind <laughs> it's fine that these shows keep going back and starting from endgame and the events of endgame because they're transitions they are transitional shows to get us to the next phase of the the marvel rollout i don't like it 
but it makes sense to me. I don't think it's necessarily just that they're rehashing this old footage. I think they're showing how characters are getting from point A to point B. And yeah, that's all in service of a movie that we still won't see for forever. But like, I get it. I I get what their intent is. And I don't think it's, I don't, honestly don't think it's emotional manipulation. I I think the problem- I completely disagree. I I, I just, yeah, I, I, I can't, to have a third option. I can't see it that way because you could choose to just do it a different way. You don't need that to be the thing that you do. You can do anything you want once you've got this setup. Once you say that he escaped into time at this part, you can do anything you want in the world. And I agree that there are transitionary shows. I agree that uh, a lot of how Loki was marketed and billed and built up was this is its own six-episode little segment that we carved off because this character just deserved it. Like we, we needed to find a, an extra place for him and give him some bonus time because people like him that much. And I can respect that. But then it circles back to the question of you're not using him, yeah. right? You're not giving it me, giving him, giving Make us the stuff that we want. You're more prioritized on milking nostalgia for nostalgia's sake. I don't know if it's that either. Uh, I think, I think the, the problem is it's neither. I, I think with all these shows, the problem is, and again, it becomes a question of like, they're just not, it is not doing. It is not serving any of its masters. I don't think, because, as I mentioned after Falcon Winter Soldier, that series is purely filler. It is nothing. He will get his own movie. There'll be a Captain America four, with Sam Wilson as Captain America, and you will not have needed to see the Falcon and the Winter Soldier to understand that Sam Wilson is Captain America. Similarly. When Wanda shows up in uh, Multiverse of Madness, she's just going to be strong Wanda, and they might give you a very quick explanation, but you really don't need one, and you don't need to have watched WandaVision. And if the whole point is these are just extra things, if it's just supplementary reading, why not make the supplementary reading good? Like, it doesn't have to serve all those masters. I don't mean good in like, uh, I didn't mean it pejoratively. I just mean like, don't worry about serving all these masters and setting up all these spinning plates for later movies. Just let the thing be its own fun thing. Let it be separate. As long as you get to the same end point, the movie picks up there. You don't need to slow play and at the risk of making it so each of these shows is procedural. Like, Let's fucking have Loki go to a different place and fight a different Loki every episode. Let's have fucking Falcon and Winter Soldier go and, like, have a crime of the week. Those are very on-the-nose stupid things. But those would be more fun than what we actually got. And I think that's... Let it be the Mandalorian. That's my my primary... Yeah, let it be the Mandalorian. That's my primary issue with these shows. That, like, even if you're going to be a stopgap between point A and point B, let's have some fun on that line like don't have it be this very straight dotted line let there be some twists and turns and figure out where we're going um and for god's sakes make it fun what happened to fun yeah i mean i, I know yeah, that I, I wasted wasted too much uh breath and slack time but that those are my general thoughts coming from someone who as libby and i've talked about is an absolute mark for the mcu i am in the bag Whatever Ben thought was negative about any of the Avengers movies, I thought was a huge freaking positive. I love those movies. I saw Avengers Endgame seven times in theaters. Like, I love that movie. So the, the fact that I, I mean, that's what makes me feel crazy when I'm watching people react super vociferously to these shows. And not Libby, I think Libby is sort of like, she understands what the show is at this point. And so Libby's positivity on it is not 
uh, I think the way that some of these people online are. And just like, I do not understand how the same person who enjoyed this other thing has this thought on Loki or Falcon and Winter Soldier or WandaVision. There are some people who, and I, that's, I mean, this sounds very stupid, but that's what I like about you, Leo, is that you aren't just a mark. You saw Endgame in theater seven times because it was a great movie. It was a great ending to a, a, a big thing. And I really appreciate that Ben didn't even make a bad face when I said that. It was very <laughs> nice. But uh, his poker face is getting better. But um, I appreciate that you're not the person who's just like, anything they do is good. And I like it. When I say I like it, I mean, I genuinely had a, a pretty good time when it was on the TV while I was in the room. Like, you know, it's, um, I don't understand fan boys or girls. Like, I, I don't, I've never really had that bone in my body uh, except for hacks, apparently. Um, but I, I, I don't know. Like, especially when you're a critic, I guess I, I don't understand being able to, like, throw that objectivity out the window and declaring your allegiance to a corporation. Yeah, so that was Loki. Um, we had the pleasure of sitting down with Hannah Waddingham and Juno Temple. Uh, to talk about Ted Lasso, season one mostly, but we did talk a little bit about season two and how they sort of responded to the phenomenon that was season one, the balm that healed all of our 2020s. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hannah Juno, thank you so much for joining us on Millions of Screens. Ben actually had uh, the pleasure of talking to Jason a little bit earlier today, and he he had nothing but the most glowing things to say about both of you. It um, doesn't mean any of it. <laughs> you could yeah, tell they, he was lying. You could tell. Yeah, he's a good actor, but I I mean, you could. <laughs> Not that good. Yeah. Good. Uh, but Ben, I wanted to kick over to you because I think you you hit on something talking to Jason about sort of the Ted Lasso becoming this phenomenon over the course of of 2020. And I think like even either you or I wrote that it was like a balm for the television world uh, in 2020. Yeah, I want I just wanted to ask, I mean, kind of because we've been talking about the phenomenon of Ted Lasso and like how much it's become uh, the soothing thing, this really reliant thing for people over the course of these hard times and, and um, how just nice it's been for, for those vibes to be put out there in the world. I was just curious how it's felt kind of revisiting those characters in season two with all of that extra, you know, worldwide attention kind of put on them. Like, did it feel different? Like to come I back and approach them? Wait. I think all of us were just like chomping yeah. at the bit because of course we'd been living the lockdown ourselves and we had found such pals in season one, both on and off camera. Weren't we, Juno? We were just chomping at the bit to get back in and play. Also, like, um, like, just couldn't believe that we were getting to, you know, after this kind of year of isolation and uh, then the show coming out and people appreciating it, you're like, wow, okay, okay. First and foremost, 
we've got to make sure we bring it, you know? I think that's a big thing that I, I definitely have never been a, a substantial size role in anything that anybody's really seen before. So this was a new experience for me, but for, no joke, Keely playing her during this past six months has completely saved my sanity through this lockdown. Like for real, definitely. She's helped me on so many levels and that's just playing her, let alone being around this extraordinary group of people that bring the whole world together. Juno and Hannah, I want to pick up on something you both kind of referred to. Um, one of my favorite elements of the show, and this should come as no surprise, is watching uh, the the two of you's relationship. And I'm really bad with names, so I can't. I uh, the two of you characters' relationship Rebecca grow. And Keely. Rebecca. Rebecca, yes, Rebecca and Keely uh, grow into into true and, and actual friends. Um, it's very moving because television doesn't always take female friendship seriously. It doesn't all, it, it's, it's often, it so often dilutes down to uh, women in competition with each other. Um, totally. Talk to me a little bit about growing that friendship within, within this show, but it's clear that you both have deep affection for each other. Um, talk about how, how that has developed as well, if you don't mind. Did you? I mean, I think that was part of the reason why I was so excited to be a part of the show is that Jason had told me about this relationship that was going to happen between Keely and Rebecca and this friendship that was exactly as you just said, that's just genuine. Two women loving each other and wanting to support each other through whatever life throws at them, whatever kind of shit storm is coming their way, but also helping each other find parts of themselves that they maybe have either forgotten or have shoved deep down or parts of themselves that they don't even know they have yet. And so also not calling just, each other out. That's the thing that, that really. Not, because that's true friendship. That was being showed so brilliantly was, was how true much friendship. they call each other out. Yeah. True friendship. And, and just go like go through life, helping each other out because they love each other as complete humans. You know what I mean? And, and then I think in real life, I don't know, It's uh, it was extraordinary because and it was a moment that both me and Hannah remember well, literally meeting in the ladies' room. It was, it was just after the read-through or it was just before? It was just before the read-through. We literally sat down and done anything and one came out of the, of the bathroom, the other one was going in and we both just went, hi, <laughs> done. Oh my God. Literally done. And I do think that there was that which was already in the script. And then it was very obvious that there was that which they were feeling from us, particularly Jason. And I, I would love to know how much, I know that they were meant to have this huge impact on each other, but it would be interesting to see those original drafts, wouldn't it? You know, of, mm -hmm. of, what Rebecca and Keely were meant to be to each other and how much our relationship in real life has kind of donated to those characters as well. Cause I, I would think it's sizably more. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think as like somebody said earlier, when we did press earlier together, they were excited to show their daughter this relationship. And I think that how is something gorgeous. like that. I don't gorgeous. think you can get a greater compliment than that, than being part of something where you're showing two women having a friendship that actually inspires you to show your daughter that and Incredible. one of my favorite films of all time is Thelma and Louise and I feel like we've kind of created our own version of Thelma and Louise yeah absolutely and of course it crosses the generations as well you know 
we don't shy away from the fact that we are, you know, play it very much in the scenes as well, um, that they are different generations, but that they enjoy what the other one brings from, from you know, each kind of decade. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Let me break it out uh, separately a little bit. Um, Hannah, Rebecca's journey through that first season is something very profound. Um, and and you, you kind of mentioned Rebecca's age obliquely, but it, it, the older we get, the more difficult it is to change, I think. Um, talk to me a little bit about going on that journey with Rebecca and, uh, if you have time, uh, killing it, killing it on Let It Go, um, because that was... Uh, hands down one of my favorite moments of the entire TV season like my heart just so yeah oh thank you thank you thank you Um, I I would say that when when I first looked at Rebecca it didn't specifically say how old she was and so when I spoke to Jason about it I said look at the time I was uh, just about to turn 46 and I said if you're cool with that you know, I I feel at a very transitional moment in my own life through good and bad. And at the time, mostly bad, if I'm honest, other than my magnificent little progeny. Um, other than her, everything had gone quite seism- seismically tits up. And I wanted to put that into who Rebecca was to make people to make all different generations and different types of women see that on screen because you don't see it that often. And and I've never held back from saying uh, my age because I just think that is the way that people lean into something. It makes you feel included. So I love the fact that Jason was like, that's your decision to make. You go forward with that. And I also said to him, I would love it if we get her to a point where, and this is before I even found out that Rupert was going to tell her what he says in F9 about having a child with somebody else. I wanted her to be of an age where that boat would have very much sailed. That even if she finds a new love in her life, that's not something she's ever now going to have. Probably. So that was that was the biggest thing for me, not shying away from that, not trying to make her 40 or 42 or, you know, I just wanted to nudge her past her mid 40s. Um, and then the thing with Let It Go, thank you for being so kind about that. I, I also am aware that Rebecca is not a professional singer. She may have wanted to be. I think there was probably a time when she would have entertained that, but then would be browbeaten by Rupert into being his companion. I wanted to make sure that she was somebody who loved singing, who was good at singing, but wasn't a singer. So that was my little journey through that. And the thing of singing it to both the little girl, Nora, on the phone, but also to to Keely, who, who she was getting power and energy from. So, yeah, very, very special moment. Right, right. Before I let the boys jump in, let me ask one more thing. Sorry, Leo. Uh, because do you know I'm one thing about Keely that I'm fascinated about is her relentless positivity. Uh, not, and it's not saccharine, uh, which is something I really appreciate about the show. It doesn't go in for that kind of false front, sweetie mm-hmm. goodness. 
um, how much are you like that in the relentlessly positive and how much does Keely draw you more towards that uh, through her essence? I'm good at being positive for other people. That I think is uh, the truth about me. Um, I think I can be pretty cruel to myself. Um, and so that's what I meant for real with playing Keely throughout this time that actually she genuinely has helped me be less cruel to myself. Um, and uh, I believe her wholeheartedly. And that's why I love playing her. I think she genuinely has this enormous heart behind those huge breasts that are obviously not mine, but much smaller than in real life. Like, um, no, but so good. So good. Form, but just small. <laughs> <laughs> but she has she really does have this big heart and she really does see the wonder in everybody and and I think she wants to, genuinely to help people see those little moments of wonder in themselves um but it will be interesting to see as the seasons go on if she ever has a moment of real crisis where she needs you know ugh, because actually what has happened in season 1 is Rebecca has really shifted Keely's way of kind of walking into a room and how she used to think she was seen, which was just very much for a physique and a kind of, oh, yeah, I've seen you in magazines before and has given Keely the power to walk into a room and be like, yeah, still look at me, but look at me because actually <laughs> I've got a lot of really great things that I can share with you, that I can help you with, that I can maybe teach you and because I want to learn from you. So let's go, even though I'm wearing the most amazing outfit you've ever seen and da, 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 da. like it's she it's suddenly this approach to kind of not being seen the way she's used to being seen and I really think Rebecca gives her that power which then mm -hmm. just enhances her ability to help people see great things about themselves you know do you know it's interesting to hear you say that about Keely's positivity because like it's something that also was echoed again, not to make everything a loop of a loop, but when Ben was talking to Jason earlier about the sort of upbeat sincerity and positivity of Ted, and he's like, is it tough to put that on all the time? And he mentioned that it was sort of, it's, it's the opposite. It's like intoxicating. That it's sort of like, it's it's nice to wear that because actually you, you end up feeling better in the end. It feeds him. I would agree with that. I think it feeds Jason. Him mm -hmm. playing Ted feeds Jason. Mm -hmm. uh, and with yeah. that in mind, with this very deep thought, a very stupid question. Is it as much fun to make this show with this cast of people as it seems? Yes. Yes. No brainer. <laughs> yes. I mean, yes. Sometimes there are scenes, sometimes there are scenes where you actually ruin takes because you're laughing. Yeah. That. Like the, the one of the worst combinations I found was in general. Nick Mohammed, you and me was one of the scenes which we can't go into detail about because it's not you haven't that seen was it yet. It was literally like, we're absolutely going to get very much told. We're not going to make the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have a first AD walking over and going, come on, guys, we got to get we're losing, it together. Losing light. Yeah. I mean, really, Jeremy just like Swift. Jeremy, we, Swift. Jeremy Swift as well. We just like, we just kept going. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Honestly, sometimes Nick Mohammed or Jeremy Swift look at you and you're like, don't, don't do that and they haven't even opened I'm their mouth to be yet like they haven't even opened that they've just made eye contact with you and you're like no i can't we need five sorry i'm so sorry it's just nick and i slightly got used to just fractionally looking off each other's oh, eyes good. and that makes it even worse <laughs> that's even funnier <laughs> i didn't know that that's really good 
<laughs> That's incredible. I was going to ask uh, for a show that so expertly uh, meets, like passes the Bechdel test. I didn't want to put you in, in, a, in a spot like this, but it seems like Jason, Bill, Joe, uh, and Brendan have sort of crafted a show that like, not only like traffics and fourth wave feminism in all the best ways, like whether it's Rebecca's power and status and how, you know, it's sort of like her club and her rules or Keely's dealing with the double standards against Roy in sort of like the dating world. But like the, the idea that like, I guess like, are you browbeating these, these four men and being like, tell our story, right? You know what? Can I tell you (laughs) those men that you've just mentioned are fearless, rampant feminists. I couldn't agree more. We feel it all the time, whether we're just chatting to them in person or what they then put through to the scripts. And that is such a pleasure. And it shouldn't be unique, but it kind of is really to have that. They're not afraid to ask us about questions that they might not know the answers to because, you know, and, and I think that's a really cool thing as well. I think that's a, yeah. Well, before we let you go, because I don't, we don't want to take up all of your day. I have one last sort of addendum to a question that Libby asked earlier to you, Hannah, with the, with the let it go scene. I was wondering, did you know that it was sort of going to be this fulcrum of the entire season going into it? Where like you do see Keely and Roy next to each other and he's mouthing along, you know, uh, Ted has his, his sort of, you know, panic attack in that moment. The team is coming together in this incredible way. Did you know that it was going to sort of serve as the fulcrum for what was coming after and, you know, season two? I had no idea. And the fact that it was called, the episode was called Make Rebecca Great Again. Mm. Absolutely terrified me. (laughs) It terrified me. I felt a real responsibility. And the fact that I'd been singing that song for hours on end that day, wasn't I, Juno? I was Mm. just like, oh, no. Um, this is getting worse every time I do it. I'm going to let them all down. And I was just, I was so relieved when I saw in the edit how magnificently it was all put together with the cutaways to Keely losing her shit and Roy mouthing the words, which if you knew Brett is so him. <laughs> that musical theatre. And then you look away and you see, you know, um, Collar as Isaac sitting there enjoying the moment and the boys, Christo and Mo, both enjoying. And then you've got the juxtaposition of Ted just going into his own head and the furore that's, that's going on there. And honestly, when I saw it back, I don't often watch myself in things, but I watched that because... It's such quick interplay with all the characters. I just thought it was a magical moment myself. Yeah, almost like a narration, isn't it? In that yes. Beat. It's like almost yes. like a narration that they keep then checking back in with the narrator. It's so yeah. genius. Well, yeah. thank you so much. I don't think I, I don't think I need to tell you guys. Uh, we've been, I mean, I've been stumping very hard for Ted Lasso since it launched last year. Uh, you I, love I don't have Leo. You're the only one who liked but, the show. we are all loving and so excited about all the praise that it that the show is receiving but one of the biggest things for me is daily still now how many times you get somebody just saying thank you a complete stranger on social media just saying 
thank you for season one, thank you for season one. And that's that 100% is more important to me. And I'm telling you, everyone else on the production, more than any of it. You've created something great and we appreciate it. And, yeah. and we appreciate it. you coming to, to tell us all your secrets. <laughs> but thank you so much for making time for us, definitely. Oh, you're welcome. Thank well, you let's hope we all see each other in the flesh yes. next time. Yes, yeah, yes. definitely. Millions of Screens, a production of Penske Media Corporation, IndieWire, our theme music featured excerpts of the classic YouTube video, Bjork talking about TV, Emily Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Our editor-in-chief is Dana Harris-Brightson, our publisher is James Israel, and our executive editor is Anne Donahue. Some of the MCU shows... Now on Disney Plus are Loki, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and WandaVision. Millions of screens strongly endorses Marvel's MODOK. I think that was all the shows on Disney Plus. You can find us on Twitter at a million screens at Midwest Spitfire at Ben T. Travers and at Leo Garcia. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. So leave a review and let us know what you think. This is Ben, Libby, and Leo remind you, as always, that you shouldn't let poets lie to you. You shouldn't let poets lie to you. Ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast. (laughs) Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.